0: ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design.
1: How does the design of nature facilitate morality? And do humans have freedom of choice, or is it merely an illusion? Welcome to ID the Future. I'm your host, Andrew McDermott. Today I'm concluding a conversation with Dr. Eric Hedin, Professor Emeritus of Physics and Astronomy at Ball State University in Indiana. In 2013, his Boundaries of Science course at Ball State University came under attack by a national atheist organization for allowing student discussions in class to consider evidence that nature might not be all there is and that our lives might have eternal meaning and value within a universe specifically fitted for beings like us. Dr. Hedin is author of the recent book, Cancelled Science, What Some Atheists Don't Want You to See. He speaks regularly at universities around the country and writes on the evidence for intelligent design at evolutionnews.org. Dr. Hedin, welcome back to the show. Thank
0: you, Andrew. It's good to be with you again.
1: You've written two articles at evolutionnews.org recently that have some interesting insights, and they're also quite timely with regard to events happening in the world right now. The problem of evil is an evergreen topic, of course, as there are plenty of examples throughout recorded history of the evil humans have done to each other. At this moment in history, though, we are dealing with the effects of the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel, the worst attack of the people of Israel since the Holocaust. Now, your first article is titled, Thoughts of Evil in a Designed World. And in a previous episode, we discussed the two causes of suffering and what that suffering might mean in a designed world versus a world that may occur through random natural processes. In this episode, we'll discuss your argument that nature reflects not only intelligent design, but also moral design. Now, you start your article on nature reflecting moral design with these words. Human beings must have freedom of choice— if our actions are to have any meaning beyond the impersonal and predictable outcomes governed by the laws of physics. What, what does it look like when human beings don't have freedom of choice? Can you give us a picture of that? Well, I think
0: that you know there are times when humans might find themselves in, in situations where their freedoms are limited. And I would say that nobody in- enjoys that experience. Being controlled by another, or in some way having your freedoms restricted, you know there's those who are incarcerated, whether for a crime or or perhaps uh, as a result of a some sort of a a war or conflict but that's that's not a a situation that any human being wants to be in, so you know as as far as humans must have freedom of choice if our actions are to have any meaning. I think that, again, if we would say that all we are is a collection of molecules that are interacting by the forces of nature, then, according to that worldview, if that's it, then our choices, if you would even call them that, are completely meaningless. You know, it would be no more meaningful than the robotic motions of a, a manufacturing robot in an automobile factory. So I don't think that most people want to assume that their actions are completely predetermined. You know, as we discussed in the last episode, there there are those who are trying to perhaps call for that type of determinism, but I think that it flies in the face of our common Experience.
1: Right. Well, real love can't come from a place of fear or coercion, as you mention in your pieces. You quote physicist George Ellis and philosopher Nancy Murphy from their book On the Moral Nature of the Universe Theology, Cosmology, and Ethics. And they say that the ultimate purpose of the universe is to allow for this uncoerced response to the Creator. How does our freedom of choice relate to morality? And the moral design of nature, how do those two combine or relate?
0: Well, again, if we think of the context in which we live our lives, you know, we exist on a on a planet that's within a cosmos and the same laws of physics that govern the intergalactic space also uh, affect us in our local environment here. And if we say, well, how does... The nature of nature. How does that have anything to do with our ability to have freedom of choice? Well, if we think about it, the laws of physics mean that our actions have a predictable outcome. Let's let's say that because we know how the law of gravity works, you know, from experience, from basically our infancy on upward in age, we know that if we do certain things, certain Outcomes will follow. So there's a predictability to the laws of nature that um, allows us to, in a way, be morally responsible for our actions. And if you think about this from the point of view of the theistic worldview, from the point of view of a creator, if the creator is giving us moral responsibility, then the universe that he places us into has to be designed so that our actions can reflect our moral choices. And that means that the laws of physics, as understood by us and experienced by us even more, have to result in our ability to predict our outcomes. If, for example, the laws of physics were not constant, and what happened yesterday is not the way it's going to work today, We might be able to say, well, I have no idea that if I pulled the trigger on this gun, it was actually going to fire a bullet, because yesterday when I did that, nothing happened if the laws of physics had changed. But the laws of physics are constant, they're predictable. That means that we can be morally responsible for physical actions that we do within this universe.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you do make the point about the laws of physics, the laws of nature being impartial. And I thought that was good. You know, we see the laws of physics operating the same day in and day out. They never change. And what does this say? This this, this does say things about life and the universe. And it also teaches us from an early age that we can depend on certain things being the same and not changing. And that does give us guardrails for our own conscious decisions.
0: Yes, and, and the fact that the laws of physics are impartial, I think, again, if you kind of place this within the, the theistic worldview, that, that means that each person can, well, there, there's kind of two sides to it. For example, the rain will fall on the ground and the, and the sun will come up whether or not the people there are choosing to do evil or choosing to do good. And so there's kind of an impartiality there. The forces of nature can be harnessed. The same forces can be harnessed to produce helpful machinery, or they can be harnessed to produce weapons of mass destruction. And again, there's sort of an impartial palette or storehouse of available tools that we can put to use and basically it's a stage in which our choices our decisions can be manifested and so our actions are made known within this universe whether we choose to be loving and help people care for others or whether we we choose to do harm
1: yeah yeah I like the way you put that, a stage Where wherein we can manifest our choices. Well, one common atheistic argument against God's existence is that if God wanted people to believe in him, he wouldn't have taken such pains to hide himself. I believe Richard Dawkins spoke those words uh, when he was interviewed for the movie Expelled with Ben Stein. But there are many atheists who do uh, think this way. Now, how do you respond to that claim? the claim that god hides himself and and can't be known
0: well i think that the same atheist who uh, in a way might complain to god like why are you taking so much pains to hide yourself would also complain if god in a way was too dominating so that there was really no choice but to serve him you know what we see in this universe is that again as we've just been talking about, the way nature works doesn't force us to make certain choices, but there's a great flexibility in what we can do with the resources, the, the sort of the, the palette of nature. Now, again, if, if we say, okay, that's a result of God keeping in the background, then it'll, it allows us to, to show ourselves without coercion. The uh, physicist uh, George Ellis and, and, and Nancy Murphy use the term the non-coercivity of the universe, that this universe is designed to not coerce people to behave a certain way or to make certain choices. We have actually within this universe a great latitude of freedom. Now, there is some... Limit. They're, they're, the universe is designed, the physical way things are, is designed to provide some boundaries <laughs> to our actions. You know, we are finite uh, by design, and our actions, therefore, will probably have finite significance. None of us is going to be able to make a decision that will destroy the Andromeda galaxy, at least at this point in our technological development and in the foreseeable future, that's just not going to happen. And so there are limitations, and I, I, in a way, thank God for that. But we do have a great latitude, and, and God's hiddenness is, is part of that. It's not complete hiddenness. You know, I, I made the point in the article that there are sufficient signatures of, of God's existence and his character that exist, that if we are open to them, I think that it's quite plain that God exists, but you know it's not so in your face that you can't still decide. No, I don't think God does exist, and some people do come to that conclusion, and and maybe that affects their worldview.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, you can you can sense that gentleness that's there, and and you would expect that from one who designed the universe for beings like ourselves a gentleness and a respect for human agency and and uh, human autonomy.
0: Yeah, I like the way you put that, uh, gentleness and respect for human agency and autonomy. Yeah, and for me, that's consistent with what I understand about the nature of God himself.
1: Now, what about justice? Does the design of the universe teach us about justice, fairness, is the universe designed to allow ultimate fair judgment of every person, as you mention in your your article?
0: Well, I think so. You know, can look at it from this perspective that I believe that again Murphy and Ellis uh, have no. It's it's actually uh, a different source that I I um, I quoted for this statement that to the extent that any person is morally responsible for what they do, they must be free to do it. And if we live in a universe that is governed by a a just God, who is going to, according to the biblical worldview, eventually judge us for our actions, if that's the case, then within this universe, we must be free. That means not determined, but free to choose to do those actions or To not do them. And again, I believe that the non coercivity of the universe provides this stage or platform for us to make free choices. We're not forced to do an evil thing, and and neither are we forced to do a good thing. Our own inner choices, our, our mind, perhaps our rational thinking processes. Can, you know, even if there are influences one way or the other, we can override those influences and decide to either do good or evil. And so basically, the universe reveals who we are by allowing us to make free choices. And then, if you think of again the biblical worldview and and God judging us, He's not judging us based on what we couldn't do or what we were, you know, suffering deprivation that forced us to do something or or what we were controlled to do. But he's judging, you would say, in a just way, based on our ability to make free choices, as allowed by the laws of nature, the way they are.
1: Well, to to put it in a sports analogy, you know, through a variety of factors, we find a ball in front of us. The ball is in our court. The question is, what are we going to do with it? That might be one way to kind of sum up the uh, the freedom that we have within the universe. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the balls in our court. You know, maybe we think, oh, that's just terrifying. You know, how <laughs> how will I know what's the right thing to do? Well, I think, again, I don't want to paint a, a pessimistic picture that leaves anyone feeling that way. In my understanding of things, God is not only just, but compassionate and kind and understanding and merciful so we don't have to be walking around on pins and needles uh, just worried about messing up or making the wrong choice so for that I'm thankful you know the the fact that we do have freedom it it leads to joy really if you think about it we we have freedom to express ourselves in, in many ways we can build a house, uh, we can uh, paint a picture, we can write a book, we can play a ball game. There's choices about what we want to do for our our living, what kind of a job or career we would like, um, who we want to have a relationship with, and uh, where we'd like to travel, what we'd like to see. And so it's, it's not all about just kind of academic questions of choice. Uh, I believe that the universe is set up to allow us a great deal of joy that comes with freedom. And I'm I'm really eternally thankful that that's the way things are.
1: Hmm. Well, EvolutionNews.org editor David Klinghofer also shared some commentary recently on goodness in an evolutionary world, sort of accompanying your, your recent thoughts. He noted that in an evolutionary perspective, what you'd expect is humans more or less on the level of animals, not greatly exceeding them in evil or greatly transcending them in good. But that's not what we find. Why is that important to the choices we make every day?
0: Well, again, I think that you know we, we talked a little bit earlier about how human evil can exceed categorically any sort of selfishness or evil, if you want to call it, that we see in the animal world. But I think also our ability to do good. Can exceed that, you know, going into an impoverished region where people lack resources and donating money to build a, a hospital and, you know, caring for people with you know various uh, diseases or, you know, I, I know of one organization that uh, actually uh, raises money to transport children and their parents or or caretakers from poorer regions of the world, if these children need heart surgeries to correct congenital heart defects, and all of this is, is paid for and there's no cost to the, the individual, and they're given a renewed life, uh, a life without um, limitations of uh, heart defects, and, and then able to go back to their own countries made well by the technology that uh, allows us to do those sorts of surgeries. And, you know, so that's just just one example of a greater good you know, it's not just caring for our young, which, you know, animals do that or, or kind of herd behavior, like we'll all stick together and protect ourselves from the wolves. But there's, there's an altruism that is manifest uh, in human societies that, in a way, have a, a foundation of ethics that uh, values showing compassion and helping others. So I, I think there is, again, a, a categorical difference.
1: Hmm. Well, we do need to wrap it up for this episode. But on that note, thank you, Dr. Hideen, for taking the time to unpack your recent articles on this topic.
0: You're very welcome.
1: Very insightful stuff. I appreciate your time.
0: It's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I know that these topics are deep, and there's so much more to consider. You know, this is not at all an exhaustive description of the problem of evil. But hopefully it can offer some help and some encouragement here maybe we can continue the discussion at another
1: time absolutely well if you missed part one of this discussion be sure to go back and listen to it we'll include links to these articles in the episode descriptions at idthefuture.com and for more from Dr. Hadeen get a copy of his book Canceled Science What Some Atheists Don't Want You to See for ID the Future I'm Andrew McDermott thanks for listening
0: Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.